Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and today we're going to be talking with Molly Cooling. Molly is a Reiki master slash teacher and also a massage therapist, and she works in, I guess it's Lincoln Square, the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Chicago. Molly and I have a fantastic conversation about the Me Too movement, energy and body work, and the way that she thinks about herself as a healer. She's kind of like flirting with the idea of being a healer and just opening up to how spiritual work and energy work is kind of shifting in Chicago right now. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Molly. Hello, Molly. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? Doing pretty well. Well, first thing, as I was preparing to talk to you today, I realized I don't really know how to pronounce your last name, probably the way that a normal person would pronounce it. I totally want to make it German and be like, cooling. Well, it's cooling. So you're cooling. pretty close. Okay. It's, it's Dutch and it's cooling. Dutch. So you're pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was going the German route with it. Okay. So cooling. All right. So Molly Cooling, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Woo! Thank you. Yay. Why don't you start by telling us who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a massage therapist and Reiki teacher, also a certified forest yoga teacher, but I don't really teach yoga, but it influences my work. And I work in the Lincoln Square area of Chicago. I've been in practice for about five years and I work with a broad variety of clients, but my wheelhouse is working with people who are using body work and energy work as a means of sort of self-discovery and Mm. as a piece of what they're doing on their own healing journey. So I have folks that might be dealing with, you know, physical pain, often chronic pain, different types of autoimmune issues, dealing with grief, life transitions, mental health issues, things like insomnia, depression, anxiety, PTSD stress, just generally speaking. So Mm -hmm. I work with them to sort of tap into what's going on potentially at a deeper level and move past those physical and emotional obstacles that are sort of getting in their way. And you're awesome at it. Thank you. (laughs) How many of my staff come to see you? Probably like most of them. (laughs) I know. And I love, love, love working with therapists because they like really get it and they really need it. So it's really fun. Yeah. And actually, I was wondering whether I was going to share this because like, side note, I feel like I talk about my dead parents too much on this podcast, but it's also a big part of my life. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to mention that you were there when my mom died. I had a session scheduled with you. I was on my way out the door and got a call from my stepdad that she had died. And I went to see you because I didn't know what else to do. Like I couldn't like just stop and like just feel So when I came to see you, that was probably the best thing I could have done for myself was follow through with that. And we will forever have a really special connection because you were there that day. Yeah. For whatever reason, that's how the universe wanted it to be. Yeah. I remember that very well and sort of just sitting with you and saying, if you want to be here, you you know, I'm here for you. And if you don't think you can be here, then you go be where you need to be. But you were like, no, no, I think I need to be here. So thanks for trusting me with that. That was a really big honor to be with you in that space. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to like all the times we've spent together. I remember doing Reiki at the VA and we had some deep fucking chats then too. <laughs> oh, Sarah, I was I was in a really dark place when, <laughs> oh my. when we were volunteering there. I was like going through some stuff 
And I really didn't know you that well, but I was like, I right. got to talk to somebody and she's right here. So <laughs> yeah. And it's so special. Like, I feel like I have plenty of people who are generally on the periphery of my life, but I know that when shit goes down, I could totally talk to you. Like, I know I could call you up at any point in time and just be like, I just need someone outside of this mess to talk to you about this. I love friendships like that because it doesn't matter. We don't have to talk on a regular basis. We totally get each other's hearts. Right. Absolutely. I was telling somebody that's going to be on this podcast and they're like, well, how do you know her? And I'm like, well, I don't really know. I think, I think maybe we did meet through volunteering, giving Reiki at the VA. Maybe that's the first time. I think so. But I felt like I kind of knew who you were before that. And then when I remember you sent me a Facebook invitation at some point, I think like when Trump was elected and we were all in a deep place of mourning and I was going to be traveling when he was going to be inaugurated, but you were having a a party. (laughs) A funeral. I don't know what it was. Yeah, not to celebrate, (laughs) but to like smash things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's be clear. And I remember looking at the guest list and I was like, oh my gosh, we know so Mm -hmm. many of the same people. It was crazy. And so I just feel like you're one of those people I'm supposed to know. And that's a great thing. Ditto. And Monique, who her episode is going to be published fairly shortly. Monique is also a friend of yours. Uh huh. Yeah, we've got like a million people in common. I think that's what's so cool about a lot of the healers and special people in my life. I don't really remember like how we got together or why we got together, but it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so I've been listening to your podcast. Oh, thanks. I think I've listened to almost all of the episodes, if not all of them. And no, I have a couple more to catch up on. But I was like, oh, this is so fun because it's like I get to be hanging out with her while I'm doing my dishes, you know? Yay! Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So maybe somebody's hanging out with us while they're doing their dishes right now. I love it. <laughs> yes. That's usually when I listen to my podcast when I'm cooking or doing dishes. You're totally mm-hmm. right. It's such a cool medium. Do you want to talk a little bit yet about what you're planning to do? Why not? So I've been listening to many podcasts lately, and it's funny because I know a lot of people that have their own podcasts. Mm -hmm. that have launched in the very recent past, within the last six months or so. There's three or four of you, which is really funny. And I think, like I said to you, your invitation to be on this podcast was like the universe kicking me in the ass a little bit because I had been planning to launch my own podcast and I'm making progress on it, but there's something that's stopping me from recording. And Mm -hmm. so I think this is a great opportunity to practice being recorded. But basically, the name of the podcast is Beyond Me Too, as in the movement, Me Too, and then healing the wounds of sexual trauma. And much like my work, it's not something I'm really choosing to do, to Mm -hmm. be quite honest. It just keeps coming up that this is needed, and I feel that I should do it. And then I get nervous, or I'm too busy, or I find 100 excuses, and somebody else comes to me and says, I need more resources. And the truth is I found a lot of resources over the years that have helped me in my own healing. This is an issue very, very close to me. And I also still have a lot of questions about what Mm -hmm. healing looks like. So when I'm talking about healing, I'm talking about both the individual, but also the collective. Yes. Where do we go from here? We've admitted there's a problem. Most people believe it to actually be a problem, at least enough people that there's a massive movement that everyone knows about. But I remember listening to one of your podcasts recently, one of your episodes, and you were talking about the emotion of anger and that it's not something Mm -hmm. you tend to go to. And I don't think there's anything quote unquote wrong with anger, but I'm also somebody who 
I don't go there very often. Mm -hmm. It's not my natural state. Much like you, I tend to go to Mm -hmm. like a state of like sadness or grief. Yeah. More naturally. And so the energy that I feel with the Me Too movement is sort of this reckoning and there's an anger to it. And there's nothing wrong with that because people have been violated and they're calling that out publicly. And that's they have the right to do that. Everybody has the right to do that if they want to. And if it continues to be sort of in this place, which I see as the first step, I see it dividing rather than uniting because we realize it's not just a few monsters that are doing these things. It's a systemic social issue in our nation and in our world. So what lies under that and like what's causing people to do these things that are otherwise decent human beings that then are really injuring their fellow humans and there's something going on at a deeper level. And so I want to look at that. I have a lot of questions, but I have a huge list of people who maybe can help answer those questions. So, Well, I think that shit like that, there are always going to be questions because like you said, I love that you said it's good people doing really bad things. Right. And because that's the truth, there's not just a black and white answer for why it is that people do what they do. You know, it's born out of their own trauma or oppression and power issues and ego and all those sorts of things. So I'm guessing that the podcast is going to generate more questions, which is good, right? Because it's just going to get people talking. Mm hmm. I think there's an opportunity, which is why like time is of the essence and I need to get my ass in gear. And, (laughs) but you know, I was speaking with a client of mine who's 82 years old and she's sort of like a grandmother figure to me. I've been seeing her for years. Like I just love her. And we were talking about the Me Too movement and I said, well, what do you think is going to happen? Because she's been around way longer than me, you know, and Mm -hmm. I would say at her core, she's definitely a a feminist and she's a badass, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, what do you think is going to happen? She's like, I think people are going to forget about it and everything's going to go back to how it was. Oh, that's so sad. It's sad. And if she's looking at her experience throughout history like that, that would be the truth, right? Yeah. And so yet this is probably the most momentum we've had around mm-hmm. this issue. Mm-hmm. And so like, let's let's use that and actually bring it somewhere that brings us all into a better place. And it's like, well, what am I going to do? Like change the world? You know, this is my little like mm-hmm. small self being like, who do you think you are? You know? Yeah. But it's my part. We do what we can, right? And maybe it'll have a a great impact. Maybe it'll impact a few people. And that's a beautiful thing. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's a reason why I'm supposed to do it probably because I need to heal something around whatever I'm going to be walking through as part of this project. So and even if it only helps one person, it was worth it. And even if that one person is just you. Right. Yeah. So I'm in I'm down. Yeah, you'll be getting an invitation. Yeah, on the other end of the interview. Yeah. I love this. And, you know, speaking of the collective healing, I don't know if you feel this same sense, but I feel like, and maybe part of it is the Me Too movement. Part of it is, you know, this kind of reaction to Donald Trump being elected and how he treats women. But I feel like women are showing up in such an empowered and strong way right now. I feel so lifted by women in a way that I never have before in my life. Absolutely. We're showing up for each other, but in like, Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of action to it. It's not showing up in these necessarily in these small, quiet spaces where we listen, like that's part of it. And we're really good at that. But there's also Mm -hmm. we've got like a fire under our asses. Mm -hmm. Well, if we go back to 
you know, the reason for starting this podcast, I don't know how intimate you want to get with this, but, you know, you say that you're close to this issue and you feel called to do this and some healing for yourself. I don't know how much you're, you're comfortable sharing about what it is that led you here that makes you feel called to do this. Basically, I would say over the past five, six years, I've done really active healing work around something that happened when I was 14 years old. I was raped when I was 14 and I didn't tell mm. anybody for 10 years. I didn't really tell myself for 10 years. Oof. And then for like 10 more years, I kind of just thought like saying it was enough. Mm. Obviously, judging by like decisions I was making in my life and the way that I really felt about myself, it was not enough. And that became very apparent. At some point, speaking of dead parents, my <laughs> father... <laughs> And I love that you could laugh about that. That's like that's oh like my, my other friends. Like we have like the weirdest senses of humor, right? Like, we have to. When you have dead parents, <laughs> that's all you can do is say it that way, because otherwise it's not funny, <laughs> right? And like I feel like, like I don't want you to feel sad for me. Like it's just mm -hmm. you know, my dad died in 2012, and mm -hmm. that was a very challenging relationship for me. And I feel like kind of what happened is like all of the grief that I had just overflowed about a year or two later. It was just like, you're, you can only hold so much, yeah. you know, I'm like a sensitive crier, you know? So I was mm -hmm. just like, I can't hold this together anymore. Something's got to change. And this is just affecting so much about relationships and the way that I treat myself. And you as a therapist will possibly find this kind of humorous because mm -hmm. it is in a, in a way humorous, but I not only like kind of lied to myself for a long time, but even after I knew and admitted to a couple of people what had happened, I still didn't talk to therapists about it. I didn't yeah. mention it. I omitted it. Like, mm -hmm. I just, you know, and then finally I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I really like committed and it was fucking horrible, right? I like, bet. yeah. Ugh, Ripping that band-aid off. Absolutely. But the very interesting thing is like, since I've gotten to this point where I can talk about this and I'm still like standing on my own two feet and the world doesn't end. And so now there's like this thing going on where like women are telling me what happened to them. Oh, Molly, that's so cool. It's really cool. And it's also a way of the universe being like, see, you're ready to do this. Thing. Okay, oh, okay. my heart just like burst open. Oh, that's awesome. My suspicion is that there are a lot of women who had not or have not talked about, mm -hmm. you know, what has happened to them in terms of sexual trauma, because there's so many reasons not to, it's right. not fun. But with this movement and the energy of this movement, it's harder to lie to yourself. Yeah. And so like, I have a friend who's older than me, and I sort of see her as an, in a way a mentor. And she recently realized that she has had some really painful experiences around this mm -hmm. issue. And I said, like, why do you think now? Like, what do you think spurred this? And of course, I think we decide to heal when we're ready to, right? So she's right. ready. That's what spurred it. But also, she's like, I found myself getting so angry about the Me Too movement. I didn't understand like the level of anger that I felt. And she's mm. like, and then when I remembered what happened, it all made sense. Wow. And so this movement is like, a reckoning, but it's also like people are looking at themselves and realizing like, oh my God, like this was not okay, right? Mm. Or like me holding this in is not good for me. So those are the people where I'm like, okay, let's do this thing. Let's talk about this. And I've sought out so many different modalities and like done so many different things and mm -hmm. read so many different books. So it's like, all right, one of the steps we take in our healing is 
we give back, right? We help mm-hmm. teach others what we've learned. And I don't think there's one path, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of people that said things and showed me things along the way that I took and needed to hear. So that's the real impetus for the podcast. Yeah. Talk about wounded healer, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's slide into that. So I guess firstly, is that a word? Firstly, first? I read that in books. I don't know. Anyway, first things first. How do you feel about the word healer as applied to yourself? That's a very good question. And I've been listening into other responses on this. So you cheated. Okay, good. So I've cheated. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, most of us don't feel really comfortable with that word. And I would say, because I don't want to come off as conceited. Right. So that's the part of me that doesn't feel comfortable with that word yet. Mm -hmm. And I tried to find another word to describe the essence of really what I'm trying to do. I don't really find another word. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. teacher, but that's a little vague. And also, to me, sounds like more up in one's head than what we're doing. Maybe guide would be a good, you know? Yeah, I like that. (laughs) I see myself as like a facilitator of healing, I suppose. But the word healer is just easier. Right. That's kind of what I come to, too, because and I have the same reaction is not wanting to sound conceited because that was my childhood was like being told that I thought I was better than everybody else. And so now I'm deathly afraid of anyone thinking that I think I'm better than them. <laughs> yes. yes. One of my top values is humility. So, mm. right. I'm like very careful, too yeah. careful sometimes. Then I sell myself short. I don't let people know like what I have to offer because I'm too humble about it. That's also not helpful. Is that a product of like being socialized as a woman or is that family of origin stuff? Do you know where that comes from for you? I don't really know where that comes from. I don't think I'd be quite so much this way if I were a man. Like women are supposed to stay small and be helping behind the scenes, you know, Mm -hmm. and not be our own people, all of that stuff. I'm sure that has something to do with it. I also think maybe being the youngest child, I kind of am like, oh, no, I'm just a like goofy little kid. Oh, I'm just a baby. (laughs) I get away with everything. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So maybe some of that, maybe some of that. Oh, funny. Yeah. Because I'm the oldest and I'm just going to tell y'all what to do, but don't think I'm bossy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so healer, it sounds like, and maybe it is a product of listening to other people grapple with it, but I hear you standing next to it rather than kind of pushing it away like many people do. And I think that that's a good place to be. I think embracing is probably too strong a word, but standing next to it, holding hands. Yeah, we're holding hands. Yeah. (laughs) We're not to the embrace yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. You can have distance from it or you can be closer depending on the situation and what's happening. Mm -hmm. So then how about the wounded part of wounded healer? Where do you lie with that? I definitely feel like that's really an important part of why I'm effective in the work that I do. Because I know what it feels like to be slogging through like the grossness of (laughs) and the beauty and all of it, right? Of what healing is, you know, and I'm like even physical healing, which is not separate from the rest. Right. But I've never had like major injuries, but I've had Mm. so many minor injuries and I don't know, like I had hip bursitis since I was 20 and like that's what you get when you're 90 and I've had Mm. plantar fasciitis and I have like really bad hypermobility in my joints and like I have SI issues and I have low back pain sometimes and like it used to be a lot worse and 
I can understand like at a visceral level what that's like. And I would mirror that in like the emotional, mental and spiritual realms as well. Mm -hmm. I know what it feels like to feel like, oh my God, I like just can't. I'm in pain and I can barely, if at all, like make it through the day because I've been there. And so not that everyone that's coming for me at that extreme, but I guess what it's done having like actually walked through it, you know, there's a strength and then there's like an endurance that's then built, but you also have that compassion. And so when somebody's in the room and they're really going through some like deep, they're doing deep work, Mm -hmm. I can be there for them and I can hold space, like the term that we use, right? But Mm -hmm. I can bend with them, like I can bend with them and like flow with them, but I'm not going to break. Their pain's not going to break me because like my pain hasn't broken me. I like that. I've never really heard anyone describe it in that way. Because usually I think people do talk about that piece of empathy and compassion. But yeah, the resilience of I made it through this. I can hold you as you make it through this too. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. I don't know why, but like I'm getting the image of a tree right now, like blowing in the wind. But like you said, not breaking, like withstanding the storm. Right. There's some other aspects of what is thinking through this wounded healer idea is I also feel like I do what I do because I needed the healing myself, you know, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I had a different career and then I moved into what I do now. What did you do? Tell the whole story. Yeah, sure. So I have my master's in public health. So I worked in public health for like 10 years. Yeah, that fits, though, too. I totally see that. You know, it's not like I totally went, like, I wasn't like an engineer, right? Right. right. Um. Banker to massage therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Though I have heard those stories, which they're lovely as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I always kind of had this desire to help people be healthier versions of themselves in a way. My mom tells this story about when I was like a little kid. My sister, we were camping. It was like the 4th of July. And I think we had, you know, used like sparklers, right? Mm-hmm. And then she like used ones were like lying in the sand or whatever. And she went to pick them up, but she picked up the hot side mm. and like burnt her hand really bad. And I was maybe like five years old or something like that. And I was like going down to the water in like Michigan and like the water was really cold. And I was mm. gathering like cold stones and putting them on her hands. Oh, you just intuitively knew. Oh, that's adorable. I'm like, that is cute, right? (laughs) Yes, that is cute as fuck. So I've always wanted to do, you know, healing work. And I remember even in college, as I kind of set my sights on public health for graduate school, but when I was an undergrad, I had considered studying medicine. And then I thought about Mm. nursing and physical therapy. But by the time I like tried to do those things, it was pretty late in my college career. And it would have really extended my undergrad Mm. years. And I didn't want to do that. I'm like looking back now, I'm like, what, whatever, I'm where right. I am, I'm happy to be where I am. Exactly. But it's like, oh, another year of college, like it's not the worst thing, right. you know? <laughs> it's like, it's a year, you know? But yeah. when you're 20, a year is like a long time. I know, you want to just get started with life already. <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, oh no, I'm going to do public health. So I actually, after graduate school, which I focused on health management and policy, I went into the Peace Corps for two mm. years. And that was like a very life-shaping experience. And then I was in the Dominican Republic and I still am very connected with, I just got back from there like a couple weeks ago. Um, You know, I'm very connected with people and with the place. But it also like being in the Peace Corps, what it does is like when you're a young person, you're learning a lot about yourself, but then you like put that on 
speed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So in two years you learn like six years worth of stuff or something like Mm. that because you're out of your environment and then you like can see yourself more clearly and And constantly being challenged. I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, after that I moved to Boston and I worked in community-based research and I did cancer prevention projects with people in low-income housing. And that was mainly what I did. I did like project management, but also like a lot of health education kinds of stuff. And then I moved to Chicago in 2009, 10. And then I worked at the University of Chicago in youth violence prevention, community-based research, doing similar work, but with like schools and doing a lot of work in the South and West sides of Chicago, like gathering data. And so I did that for all said and done like 10 years. But at some point, as I was at U of C, I was like, you know, I went into this thinking maybe I wanted to get my PhD, but like, I'm not feeling academia. I'm not like, oh, no, <laughs> no. Just, yeah, I can like touch it and run away being an adjunct. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that, you know, I could do that. Right. But like, but having to get the funding and then like the publishing and then like the real work kind of goes to the wayside a lot of times because the incentive yeah. system is really, I think, skewed in a not great way. So I have a little bit of a problem with the way that money is used in academia. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, a pretty big problem with it. But that's another story. But it basically, I got to this point where I'm like, this isn't where I want to be. And so like, what the heck am I going to do? And then I was like, you know, I want to do something with the body and wellness. And then Mm. somehow I decided I would look at massage school. And I'm like, well, it's only a year. It's not that expensive. And you get like all the basics, like the anatomy, physiology, all that. Plus you have a skill. Mm -hmm. And then I could like maybe study some other stuff too if I want to, right? So I did that. And then at the same time, I was studying Reiki because randomly after like a women's run at Fleet Feet met my Reiki teacher. And I was like, oh, Oh, really? Yeah, she was presenting. Yeah. And I was like, Reiki, what the heck is that? Talk about like marketing. Like Heather markets the shit out of Reiki in such a good way. It's very impressive. You can tell her former life comes through in that. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Talk about like corporate to healer, right? Yeah. So I remember like meeting her and I was already signed up. No, I wasn't signed up for massage school yet, but it was shortly after and I sought her out at that point. But I remember Mm -hmm. we did this run and I was with my friend Bonnie and I was like, I want to stay for this little presentation. It sounds really interesting. And she's like, Sounds really weird, but I love you, so I'll stay. (laughs) Yep. Sounds weird. (laughs) And it is, but who cares? I mean, I just taught a class yesterday to like a level two class to a bunch of students where you like, you know, you do Reiki, right? But for Mm -hmm. for the listeners, you learn to send Reiki across space and time, distant Mm -hmm. Reiki. And it sounds so crazy because like the way that we understand the world to be is not necessarily the way that the world is. And mm-hmm. so it's like really hard to wrap the head around it. So it's like, well, let's just do it. And then you get an experience of it. And I'm like, I know sometimes I think it's crazy. And I teach this, right? right? Like, sometimes I'm like, am I like making everything up? And right, then right. the best thing that happened was they did their like first sending distant Reiki, and they debriefed with the people that received it. And they had like, you know, they all had like, wow, I was working on your hip and you felt me working on your hip. That's so weird since Mm. I wasn't anywhere near you. And so I'm like, what did people think? Any questions, comments? And this one person raised her hand. She's like, yeah, it actually works. (laughs) (laughs) And you get an A. So yeah. So I found Reiki. I was intrigued. 
so when I decided to go to massage school, I was like, I'm going to look this lady up. So I looked Heather up mm -hmm. and I saw that she had like a chakra workshop going on. So I was like, okay, yeah. it's like just a couple hour investment, 25 bucks or whatever, right? I took that too. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to invite my brother-in-law because he was paralyzed after spinal cord surgery. Mm -hmm. He was a couple years out, but he was starting to explore like non-Western options mm -hmm. to like, because he was sort of plateauing. And I was like, you should come with me. And so he finally was convinced and we went and that was incredibly, incredibly eye-opening. It was the first time where I felt like the trauma in my energy field. Mm. And then it was one of the things that made me be like, oh, shit, I got to do something about this. Wow. Could you describe maybe for the listeners what it means when you say I felt the trauma in my energy field? Like physically, could you describe that? We did like a little interactive activity at the end of the workshop and I was laying down and we chose a chakra to be worked on based mm -hmm. on, you know, what we thought we might need. And so based on her description of like issues that people have with the second chakra, I'm like, I have hip pain, I have low back pain, I have oh, some addiction, shit. addiction stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm like, all right. And Ian is my brother-in-law. I'm like, Ian, work on my second chakra. So she's walking him and the others through this protocol and I'm laying there and I like have to remind myself that I'm safe and in this room because there's something in me that's like, he's not touching me. He's just right. hovering over my lower abdomen doing whatever he's doing. And I am like terrified. Wow. Like where I felt like maybe I would forget to breathe, you know, mm. that feeling. And I'm like, nope, you're in this room. You're with your brother-in-law. You know, he's like a brother to me, right? I've mm -hmm. known him since I was 16. So I felt really safe with him mm -hmm. and I couldn't verbalize any of it, but I just knew like, that's gross to carry that around. That's a terrible thing to be having like with me all the time. Mm. Right. And I didn't tell him about it. I don't even know if I've actually told him that story. I wasn't ready to talk about it, but that was like a really important moment. And then I was like, I'm going to go learn Reiki because it's going to help my brother-in-law and it's going to help my mm -hmm. future clients and all this stuff. And I was like, no, dummy, like you, <laughs> you need yeah. it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of how I ended up in this world. And then I just worked my way towards doing this stuff. I was doing it part-time. And then I worked my way towards being able to do this work full-time. And now I'm really busy and blessed. And I get to work with all these amazing people who, like, really get it. Yeah. Well, I wondered, as you were talking about your experience with public health, because this is something that's been kind of coming up for me recently. When we're in private practice, we're both in, you know, different kind of sects of private practice. Mm -hmm. We see privileged people, right? At least people who have more privilege than the people that we were working with earlier in our career. And I'm curious how you reconcile that for yourself, right? Because I'm hearing in, you know, your decision to go into public health that part of it is a like, I'm going to save the world kind of thing. And that's why people mm -hmm. go to the Peace Corps, right? I'm going to go save the world and make all this big change with poor people who can't do it and blah, blah, blah. So I'm a terrible question asker because I just throw it's a ton okay. of stuff out and then like whatever <laughs> sticks to you is what I want to hear. But so all that being said, tell me what you want to tell me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've thought about that for sure, right? Because I was doing a lot of work with low income, at risk, right? Like these mm -hmm. people with very few resources. And now I'm not in that world at all, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing some volunteering with Reiki but I don't do that anymore because, mm -hmm. frankly, like, I don't have the time and energy. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And and so there's a part of me that's like, oh, I sh maybe I should feel guilty about that, right? But yeah. there's also this part of me that's like, well, you know, Molly, like, you're trying to, like, listen to where you need to be right now. Mm -hmm. And where I need to be right now is where I am. That's what it feels like. And 
I don't differentiate as much as I used to about there's a lot of really broken people with a lot of money. Yeah. Not to say that poverty is this walk in the park and yay, but one of my closest friends in the world, like I met her in the Peace Corps. She's a single mother. She has like no money and she works all the time, right? And I love her and she's my friend as like very much an equal. Mm. And I see her as like so much richer than so many people in so many ways. And she's mm. not like destitute, like she's not on the street starving, right? right? Like she's got her basic needs met, but it's a challenge. Yeah. You know, and if she really needs something, like guess what? She has an American friend who has resources, right? Mm-hmm. So she gets to have that in addition to like all the crappy stuff in her life. And but I look at, I'm like, you know, it's not like necessarily a cop out, but it's just, I feel like I'm just showing up for people as people. And at some point, maybe I will feel like I really need to reach out and make a concerted effort to provide services for people that can't access them financially. I mean, I do some sliding scale stuff. I'm involved with something called the Breathe Network, which is organization that's focused. Are you familiar with the Breathe Network? No, tell me more. It was started by another woman named Molly, Molly Bader Harris. And Mm -hmm. she used to live in Chicago. She lives in Portland now. And It's about connecting survivors of sexual violence with holistic resources. And so I'm listed as a practitioner on their site. That's cool. It's really cool. I think there are a lot of people who get it like, yes, we need to go see a therapist. Like, yes, Sarah Bueno like needs to be part of the Mm -hmm. equation and had heart therapy needs, but they're so, you get it. Like you see others, right? And especially for like sexual trauma, like you Mm -hmm. need to heal yourself at this like deep energetic and physical levels. Like you're holding onto that stuff. And so Mm -hmm. cognitively, like, yes, process it, but you also need to like feel your way through it. Well, and all of the research that I've come across lately that talks about trauma work talks about we actually can't reason it out, Mm. that we really do have to use more body-centered approaches. And so there's like sensory motor experience and somatic experiencing Mm. and and other Mm. sorts of body work that therapists can do. And I've had the experience, the second episode we did, Sarah Wolfman. Yeah, I used to take her yoga class, by the way, and I heard her episode. Oh my God, isn't she incredible? Mm-hmm. I think it's just this balance of like right time, right place, right person. And I didn't even really recognize the trauma that was there. And I don't think that it's a product of like, oh, you're doing body work. And so you're making up this trauma or you're making up this feeling of mm-hmm. having been abused energetically, but it was there. I just didn't know A, what it was. I didn't know how it was affecting me and I didn't know it needed to be healed. And it's been such a cool experience to work with her on that. Yeah. I mean, it's like these things that we're not aware of, but they're like, they're these little like sneaky little devils that are like influencing our behavior and the things that we believe to be true about ourselves and the Mm -hmm. world. And then when like we've become aware of them, like, oh my God, like I was completely blind to that because we're really good at burying it down and ignoring it. But there's so much like power and energy and freedom and like there, it's just being bound up in this like stuff that's not serving us. So if we can access it and I mean, just like seeing it, just feeling it, right? Sometimes that's Mm -hmm. enough. Yeah, it's so interesting how I'm just thinking about like my journey with energy work and how there's so much in this realm of energy work that I feel like I'm never going to get to experience because it's just so vast and it's just so cool. There are so many ways to get at what our issues are in a very, very deep way. It's profound. I love it. It's like exploded. There's so much out there. Mm-hmm. 
I want to learn all the things, but I don't have time. (laughs) I know. Or all the money, right? Right. I'm like, can you give me like five years off work and pay me what I would normally make and then I'll go do all this stuff. That's part of the beauty of owning a practice and having staff is that I do get paid even when I don't work now, which is nice, but I wish I had time to do more trainings, but I'm supervising staff all the time. (laughs) You know, I have a business partner in Houston and we're working on expanding our treatment offerings and I feel, and I'm not sure if this is just me because this is who I keep around me, but I feel like Chicago as a market of health and wellness is opening up way more to the spiritual realm, to the energetic realm than many markets are. I don't know if you have that experience. I would say yes. I get so many people who seek me out because they might be looking for massage, but then they're like, oh my God, you do Reiki too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to work with you. And like so many people wanting to learn Reiki and it's like, they're not necessarily learning it because they want to do it professionally. They just want to learn it for themselves. Yeah. And I absolutely feel that there's an openness to it. Like you said, because I'm around so many people who, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm talking to you. Right. I'm like, maybe it's changed. Maybe I've become more comfortable talking about things on like a spiritual level, right? When I first started doing Reiki, I was like, I did not want to talk about it. It was so important to me. I could tell it was helping me so much. And I was like, if anyone makes fun of this thing, like I'm going to start crying, right? Oh, oh my gosh. (laughs) And now like people be like, oh, are you going to your witchcraft circle? And I'm like, yes, "Yes, that's where I'm going. Yes. (laughs) My husband says the same thing. You're doing your witchy stuff? Yes. Yes. And I'm like, well, you know, to be fair, like we would have been deemed witches like back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. I do feel a shift and it's hard to say whether that's just in my social circle, if that's in myself, if that's in greater Chicago. I feel like it's maybe a little bit of all of that. And I think the people that are finding me now, I feel more permission Mm -hmm. to take it there. Like, yeah, okay, Reiki is like a gentle healing modality that can help you with your pain and that's really cool. But guess what? Like it can do so much more. To me, Reiki, what it gave me was this permission to heal because I felt this connection to something so much bigger than myself that would make sure like I was okay. Yeah. That's what Reiki did for me. So it was like that it gave me this like concrete spiritual connection and that allowed me to heal because before it was too scary. And now that you say that, I really think that's what Reiki did for me too because I think Reiki began to facilitate the healing of what just for lack of a better term, I'm going to call spiritual abuse from being raised in a fairly conservative Christian household and Mm -hmm. being told that that was the one right way. And then totally, of course, rejecting religion and everything having to do with it. And then Reiki was the thing that made God not a bad word again, which is awesome. And I remember, I specifically remember I went to this woman who doesn't live in Chicago anymore, but her name was Joanne. And She hovered. She didn't even put hands on. She hovered. And I remember one time she had her hands over my third eye. And all of a sudden, I just am visualizing. My eyes are closed, but I'm visualizing eyes, all kinds of eyes, just opening, 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 opening. It was going on for like five minutes. And afterwards, when we kind of debriefed about it, I explained it to her. And she's like, I think we just cracked your third eye wide open. I've never been the same since. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. And it's that stuff where I'm like, when I'm like, am I making this all up? And I'm like, no, right. because that thing happened. Like, that thing that happened. happened. Yeah. I'm not making it up. <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Reiki is this like 
super simple thing. But then like sometimes the stuff mm-hmm. that happens, I'm like, oh my God. And I get to just like be a part of that or I get to be the recipient of it if I'm working on myself or getting right. getting work done. And, but even just being a facilitator of that and I'm like, yeah. whoa, that just happened for you? Like, right. What? You just connected with your mother who passed away who you couldn't go see because of your visa status. Mm-hmm. And you've been like wanting to dream about her for five years and she just oh. came and told you everything's okay. That just oh. happened. Oh, that sounds so awesome. Right. And I'm like, wow. I said, I don't know. All I know is I saw like a flash of light and I put this mm. piece of rose quartz on your heart because I felt like I should. That's all mm. I know. And she had this whole thing happen. Really cool stuff. And then sometimes people just feel better and that's good right. too, right? It's whatever you need in the moment. Yeah. Well, I want to be mindful of our time. So to wrap up, is there anything that, I mean, I'm sure there's a million other things we could talk about, but for the purposes of this interview, is there anything else that you want to share that we didn't already talk about? One thing when I think about healing and in my own journey and what I see people that are like really doing the work is that I might be the healer or, you know, the person holding hands with the idea of being a healer. <laughs> so for anyone that's like in the middle of navigating this stuff, it's like I tell people like you're the center of the wheel and you're going out to like all these spokes and like you're basically like gathering information about yourself. Hmm through your interactions with these different people and these different modalities and these different Mm. resources. And then you get to like make sense of it all, right? Mm -hmm. And then see yourself, like see yourself fully. And then you get to love yourself and all the stuff that you've discovered. And then with that, like the stuff that feels terrible just kind of starts to dissolve. And so that's kind of what I see as like the healer is like, you're like a spoke on that wheel for the person, right? Yeah. You're there to mirror back to them, right? Or help them get information about themselves. So kind of how I see it. Awesome. Well, Molly, thank you so, 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 so much for joining me today. This was wonderful. You're welcome. This was fun. And an hour goes by really fast. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I know. I intended for these episodes to be like 20, 30 minutes. And then I'm like, oh, there's no fucking please. way. I <laughs> We have way too much shit to talk about. All right, Molly. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. I'm so happy to have had Molly on the podcast. I hope that you'll enjoy her podcast as well. And as always, thanks to Andrea Klunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art photo, and Ben Mueller for our theme music. For more information about Molly, you can visit my website at www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. And you can find Conversations with a Wounded Healer on Facebook and Twitter, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.